servant of God, Catherine Doherty, once said, There are all kinds of good Catholic things you can do, but whatever they are, you have to realize that there is always the duty of the moment to be done. Welcome to the 10th episode of St. Dimpness Playbook, the SDP, if you want to be cool, and shout out to all the cool people saying SDP online, by the way. My name is Tommy. I'm a cradle Catholic, a marriage and family therapist, a husband and father of five boys, four on earth and one in heaven. Love you, Luke. And I'm here to fill the void of Catholic conversations about mental health because a lot of us seek to do big things for God, but in reality, he's present in the person suffering right next to us, and he wants us to walk with them in the duty of that very moment, no matter how small it may seem. We like to kick things off around here with a quick refresh of our notifications. It's time for St. Dymphna's Mentions. First up, I can't imagine not discussing the recent mass shootings around our nation, one of which was less than 65 miles down the freeway from our home. As with everything, we have to start with prayer for our nation, for those hurting and lost, for those filled with evil, for the souls of those killed, for the families grieving their senseless deaths, for communities shaken to their core, and for all of our children as they grow up in this terrible reality that has become their normal. Hail, Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of Eve. To thee do we send up our sighs, mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. Turn then, most gracious advocate, thine eyes of mercy toward us. And after this our exile, show unto us the blessed fruit of thy womb, Jesus. O clement, O loving, O sweet Virgin Mary, pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Amen. The murder in El Paso put on full display the reality of what generations of hatred, racism, and white supremacy have left us. And each of the shootings, to various degrees, have put on full display the ableism and hatred driven by fear of those suffering from mental illness that years and years of inadequate care and inadequate effort towards inclusiveness for those suffering with their mental health in our communities have left us. I could talk for hours about this topic, but to ensure I stay focused, and since this is a mental health podcast, I'd like to look at the way our president responded earlier in the week to the attacks. He said, quote, mental health and hatred pulled the trigger, not the gun. He then went on to talk about the importance of mental health care, even mentioning the idea of involuntary confinement. Okay, deep breath. The idea that because someone has received mental health treatment in the past, their mental health caused them to commit a heinous crime like these mass murders is absolutely disgusting. I have been personally working with those suffering from chronic and severe mental illness for nearly 15 years, walking with people suffering from schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, PTSD, depression, anxiety, and everything in between. And I can definitively state that these ideas that those suffering from mental illness in the wake of, the tr of these tragedies, uh, it's extremely dangerous, the idea that this is because of mental health. Not only does it lead to a negative perception about mental illness in the eye of the public, but it also leads to people with mental illness feeling worse about themselves and wondering incredibly hurtful things like, could I be capable of doing something like this? It also leads to politicians working to create policies and laws about mental health when they don't really understand anything about it, which is extremely dangerous. Of course, mental health services are incredibly underfunded in our country. And the government, you know, the ones perpetuating the dangerous myth about murderous mentally ill people, they actually have the power to change that. If they will is a different question. But at the same time, 
I deeply value the voluntary nature of mental health treatment and see it as a right we must uphold, keeping in mind that in the case where someone's a danger to themselves or others due to their mental health, we are legally required to initiate involuntary hospitalization as mental health workers. It's also important to point out, as my good buddy Steve the Missionary did on Twitter, having your mind massively twisted by an awful ideology is different than having a mental illness. This is so true and so important to drive home in the midst of the media focus on mental health right now. Let's keep praying like everything depends on God and working like everything depends on us. I, for one, am not willing to live in a world where I'm scared to take my kids to the store, scared to take them to church, and terrified to let them go to school out of fear of gun violence. And at the same time, I'm not willing to leave my children a world where those suffering from mental illness are irrationally feared and treated as others for any reason whatsoever. Something must change, and it starts with me, and it starts with you, and it starts with our church. Shifting gears, a question from Doge, quotes, I hope I pronounced it right, buddy. How do we rest in the Lord's presence in the Eucharist? Do you have any tips for a newbie to adoration? I feel called to begin adoration, but I'm not sure what to do once I'm there. One of my mutuals on Twitter probably said it best when he noted that every time he gets into the adoration chapel, he falls asleep. That's how comfortable we should feel in the presence of the Lord. All right, so awesome that you're feeling called to adoration. It's a beautiful way to grow in faith and relationship to Christ. And I'll point out a lot of people feel the exact same way as you. What do I do when I get there? I would offer a mix of ideas. One is having a set plan of things you would do while you're there. And the other is having absolutely no plan and just being there. When I was going every morning, I opened the morning prayer. Uh, I opened with morning prayer from the little office, did some spiritual reading from a saint or other author focused on the faith, and then closed out with a seven sorrows rosary. That was kind of my favorite things. However, I realized that at, the, at sometimes I could get a bit legalistic about my time there, feeling like I had to do the game plan or else it didn't count, that kind of thing. And I decided to work harder to focus on just being present, just sitting, staring at the Lord and letting him decide what he wanted me to receive and experience. And that was just so darn peaceful. Sitting in the silence is so vastly different than anything else we do in our lives. And it almost feels mystical. As St. John Vianney once reportedly answered when asked by a parishioner what exactly he did in adoration, quote, I just look at him and he looks at me. It can be that simple. So each episode, I'm going to introduce you to a saint who can help us along our journey with mental health and wellness as Catholics. It's called Friend Request, and today I'm here to introduce you to St. Gemma Galgani. Born in Italy in 1878, Gemma Galgani was the fifth of eight children and was regarded as a highly intelligent kid. Many members of her family died from TB and other health issues, and Gemma was eventually sent to a Catholic boarding school run by the Sisters of St. Zita, also a pretty awesome saint, by the way. When she was 16, she developed meningitis, but was cured by a miracle that she attributed to the Sacred Heart of Jesus through the intercession of Saints Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows and Margaret Mary Alacoque. Right after turning 18, St. Gemma was orphaned and took over the responsibility of raising her siblings with her Aunt Carolina. 
she had to turn down two marriage proposals in order to keep helping. At the age of 21, she began to display the stigmata and reported that she had spoken with her guardian angel, Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and multiple saints, most prominently among them, St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows. She was frequently found in ecstasy and was known to have been levitating. On one occasion, she found herself levitating in the dining room after hugging a crucifix and kissing the side of Christ. The thing I love about St. Gemma is that she had an incredibly strong desire to become a passionist nun and felt this pull coming from her mystical interactions with both Jesus and St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows, and it never happened during her lifetime. When she was distressed about it not coming to pass as she anticipated, St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows came to her in a vision and said, Do you not believe what I have told you? You may be sure that you will become a passionist. But Gemma never saw the day. I can't imagine the pain of having mystical experiences assuring you of God's plan and then finding yourself unable to achieve that plan from your own vantage point. And yet she persisted and kept living for Christ, kept living joyfully in spite of her emotional and physical torment. It's so inspiring and incredible, and it makes me love her so much. After her death, she was buried in a passionist habit and today is counted among their most beloved saints alongside St. Gabriel of Our Lady of Sorrows himself. Absolutely incredible. We like to close out this part of the podcast with a prayer, so let's go with this prayer composed by St. Gemma for the forgiveness of sins. My Jesus, I place all of my sins before you. In my estimation, they do not deserve pardon. But I ask you to close your eyes to my want and merit and open them to your infinite merit. Since you willed to die for my sins, grant me forgiveness for all of them. Thus, I may no longer feel the burden of my sins, a burden that oppresses me beyond measure. Assist me, dear Jesus, for I desire to become good no matter what the cost. Take away, destroy, and utterly root out whatever you find in me that is contrary to your holy will. At the same time, dear Jesus, illuminate me so that I may walk in your holy light. Amen. And now you can't do therapy over Twitter, but I'm happy to take your tweets and help you explore a bit in the hopes of finding a light in the darkness. It's time for Twitter therapy. Mike kicks us off with this one. How do we reconcile the promise of obedience and vow for religious with the possibly harmful orders of those in charge? The stakes are high and there is a lot of pressure to succeed. And I've seen that take a toll on many guys. Thank you, Mike. I've never found myself in this kind of position before, but I think we can all clearly see the potential struggle. What do you do when your superior gives you an order to do something that seems harmful emotionally, spiritually, or perhaps even physically? I guess I'd point out that I'm just a layman here. So if religious sisters, brothers, or priests want to reply to the podcast on Twitter and give their perspective, that would be most helpful for all of us. But since Mike tossed it my way, I guess I would simply say this. Obeying the orders of a superior is a vital aspect of the vow of obedience obedience and religious life. And from my uh, relationships that I've had with religious, I've seen how serious they take the vow and the incredible graces that flow from that obedience in their lives. And yet, I'm sure there are circumstances where a religious feels like an order coming from a superior is not the right path to take. And I don't mean that in the, oh man, I don't want to move to that community across the country, although I'm certain that I would feel that way about most of their guidance and decisions because I'm weak. But more, as the listener suggests with the, the situation, feeling like something might be unhealthy, dangerous, or against the faith, my thought would be prayer 
discernment and open dialogue as the best way to go. Bringing up your concerns seems like a great place to start after prayer because you may get a different angle on the order or you may open up your superior to gain insight about the way they've been using their authority. I sincerely hope that these situations are few and far between. Not sure how much that helps, but again, I'm looking at all you religious out there to chime in and let me know how you approach the situation. And all of us should remember to ask God to raise up holy men and women who exercise authority as Christ commanded rather than lording it over uh, as other people do. Catholic Kitty has another vocation-related question asking about the discrimination that people who have suffered mental health issues face when discerning priesthood or religious life. Quote, I have a friend who has visited 20 convents and none of them would take her on as a postulant because she takes an antidepressant, end quote. Can we take a quick moment to pray for her friend, everyone who feels called to a vocation but finds door after door closed as they approach? Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. I think you all know where I'm going to fall on this question, but allow me to go ahead with my thoughts anyway. First, the situation with the listener's friend breaks my heart, and I truly believe that our joining together in that Ave just right now that we did puts the situation in Mary's hands, which can only lead to the best outcome. I understand that religious orders and dioceses need to have uh, psychological assessments for people discerning a vocation. They have to know that the person inquiring will be able to fulfill their vocation and that the souls entrusted to their care will be in good hands. And I know that discernment is a two-way street and that both the individual and the religious order, much like two people getting married, need to make sure it's a good fit. Okay, so there's that. Also, a person who feels that they may have a vocation who also experience mental health concerns in their life should not be excluded solely because of those concerns. I'm reminded of an earlier episode where we touched on this topic in terms of dating and marriage, right? And here we are with people facing the same situation in terms of religious life. We are all broken, we are all hurting, and yet we all deserve to give and receive love, you guys. Those of us who find the courage and support to reach out for help when we need it are showing strength and trust in God. And if any Thing, that should be a plus when being considered for religious life, not a negative. Now, I don't want to act like I'm living in some sort of fantasy world. I understand that some mental health symptoms and experiences may make it difficult for individuals to fulfill a vocation to religious life or the priesthood, but that percentage of individuals is really, really small. May God guide those in charge of helping men and women discern the call to be full of compassion full of wisdom, and full of true Christian charity when dealing with our sisters and brothers. Monica wraps us up with something I've actually heard from more than a few people since kicking off this podcast. I find it weird and off-putting that St. Dymphna is the patron of the mentally ill. Nothing against her personally, but it bothers me. If someone says they're mentally ill, the church's answer is to go pray to this person who was literally murdered by a dude. Why can't we have a patron for the mentally ill who was herself or himself mentally ill and can be a role model for finding holiness despite those difficulties? All right, Monica, thank you very much. As I, as I said, I've gotten this a couple times, so let's go for it. For those who may not know the story of St. Dymphna, uh, feel free to go back to episode one and check out what I talked about on the podcast. Long story short, her mother died and her father became deranged through his grief. That derangement coincided with his friend's recommendation for him to remarry, and only wanting to remarry someone as beautiful as his wife, he decided to court his own daughter. She ran away with some companions, but eventually he found them, and he killed her. So yeah, Monica is right. 
from all appearances, it doesn't look like Dimna herself was mentally ill, but she was most certainly touched by it. <laughs> While she is traditionally invoked as the patron of mental illness and those who treat people suffering from mental illness, and while I have a strong devotion to her under this patronage, perhaps her other patronages might make more sense given her life experience, uh, runaways and victims of incest, to name a couple. But just because St. Dimna is well known as the patron of the mentally ill doesn't mean that she's uh, doesn't necessarily mean that she's going to be the one that everyone connects with for this need. And just because some dude with a podcast likes her and values her intercession doesn't mean anyone else has to. Thanks be to God, the communion of saints is packed with folks who've experienced mental health issues while here on earth, and many of them have been covered on previous episodes of this very podcast. My big three suggestions would be uh, people who are also patrons of the mentally ill and uh, or people suffering from addiction. Here they are. Venerable Matt Talbot, St. Christina the Astonishing, and St. Benedict Joseph Lebray. But there are others, John of God, Jane Francis de Chantel. The list really goes on and on. And I would say read about some of these saints. See who lived a life that connects with the life that you have in some way and invoke their intercession as you move forward in your journey with mental health and wellness. They're all great and they're all waiting to help you. All right, everyone, that's it for today's episode. Remember, you can email, DM, or tweet your questions and situations if you'd like me to address them in the future. I'd be happy to keep you anonymous or not, whatever you want. Until next time, go easy on yourselves. Take care of yourselves. And if you feel like you're in a place where you can't even bring yourself to pray, don't worry. I'll be praying for you. And so will St. Dymphna.